perfect precursor to what we're going to talk about today. People helping people in the context of community. I love how God does that by accident. Mm, I love it. Thank you, sister, for singing. Thank you. Thank you so much for blessing us with the voice. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your presence, for your protection and comfort and provision through it all. We've learned to trust in you, even when we can't trace where you're going. In our mistakes, in our brokenness, in the things that are outside of our control and the things that are inside of our control, we trust you through it all to do the best thing for us. Not what we want all the time, but what is most glorifying to you. So help us to line ourselves up with your will and your design and your plans. I pray that you'd bless my mouth as I try to expose what's in your word this morning. And then paint a vision of community and togetherness that would cause our church to become deeper and more rooted in you and in your love. Please bless this time right now. And send your Holy Spirit out through the words and resonate with the Holy Spirit that's already in all of your children to make us love the truth of community. Please, Lord, do something great in our midst this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a blessing and a pleasure to be before you again, once again. Uh, I love, I love the people of God. I love knowing that the people of God will be there if there is a situation that comes up. I love it, and I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful to know you, and those whom I haven't met, I'm grateful for you too, because I know that if I were to meet you, there would be fellowship. It's a blessing. So sometimes, sometimes, even in the midst of our fellowship, even in the midst of getting together and knowing each other's struggles and each other's pains and each other's triumphs and joys, sometimes you got to telescope out for a second because life gets mundane. Life gets repetitive. It's a pattern of up and downs and, and little things that gnaw at us and little victories and little pleasures. And, and sometimes you just got to telescope out of that for a second. Sometimes you got to get to the 30,000 foot mark above life and ask yourself again, why are we here? You've got to telescope out sometimes to keep things straight up here. Because if you're in a pattern, a routine of mundaneness for 10, 20, 30 years, you'll burn out. I have to do this every day because I get into the minutia, the details of life, and it stresses me out. I have to get up above the ground, 30,000 feet up, figuratively speaking, and ask myself, why do I exist again? Why is it that I'm here? What's this about? The question, why do I exist, is the same thing as the question, why do human beings exist? And so we have to ask that question too, because it's not just us, why do I exist, it's why do we exist? What are human beings on earth for? Well, let's roll it all the way back to a time when there wasn't human beings, right? Let's roll it back all the way to a time when there was only God. God in his great glory and power and supremacy and perfection existed, self-sufficient. He didn't need people. 
And sometimes some of us can't even believe that there was a time where human beings didn't exist because we're so important to ourselves and human beings are so important to us. But remember, we are derivative. That means we came from somewhere. We are not original. I'm an original being. No, you are not. You flow from God. God did not have to make us, but he chose to. And so let's flow back to that time before God made us. It was God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Pre-incarnate Jesus. That's a word that theologians use. It talks about Jesus at a time when he did not yet inhabit a human body. He was there with God the Father, with the Holy Spirit. They were having a party like none other, a type of fellowship and tightness and uh, togetherness that we cannot conceive. Imagine this, infinite power enjoying itself. You cannot conceive of a greater pleasure. Infinite power in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, enjoying fellowship. No sin, no struggles, no problems. Party. And in the midst of that fellowship, there was a desire deep in the mysteries of God's mind that we cannot fathom to create... Life outside of himself, right? To create people, to create a world, animals, right? We know the creation narrative. I'm not going to go through it. But God chose to do this so that the people he created in his image, people who were like him, would have the opportunity to join that party, to be a part of that fellowship, right? God created, we know, beasts and, and fish and birds and all this. But then what did he do? He created the crown of his creation, which was man. Adam and Eve, man and woman, equally made in the image of God. And God created them for the purpose of joining the party. Not to become God. Not that they would become God, but that they would enjoy God. That is why human beings exist. We do not exist to build up our own personal kingdom to get rich and famous and healthy all the time. That might happen, but that's not our express purpose. For the vast majority of the world, we will be sick, we will be poor, we will not have some of the blessings that we have in America and yet, there are many across the world who will experience a joy and a glory that we cannot conceive in the most fabulous of American mansions because they are God's children. And so why will some experience God's glory, some experience the thing for which they were created, and some not experience it? Well, remember, after God created man... God gave man a decision, right? To eat or not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And man, instead of wanting to be with God, he wanted to become God. That is the origin of sin. That's where the divide happened. Instead of wanting to be with God, man said, no, I'll be my own God. I'm not going to go to your party. I'm going to make my own party and be me and do me. And that is when sin entered the world. Separation from God. 
No longer in fellowship were, were Adam and Eve and then their descendants. And so, over hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years, mankind was separated from God and had to be brought back, redeemed by a process of salvation that God ordained. And we have Christ in the New Testament who died for our sins, rose again, so that all who trust in Christ have their sins forgiven. And guess what? You probably did not know this. The point of having your sins forgiven is not to have your sins forgiven. The point of having your sins forgiven is not even to go to heaven. Because would you go to heaven if God were not there? The point of having your sins forgiven is to be with God. So that you can be back in that original relationship and purpose for which you were created. That's why our sins are forgiven. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why we call people to repent and turn. Not just so that they can adopt a religious lifestyle. Not so that they can wear hats and dress a certain way. That's not the main purpose. The main purpose is so they can be back with their creator. They can be restored to God. That's why you exist. So you have a stressful week this week. You have difficult issues come up. You have someone say something that rubs you the wrong way. Remind yourself in the midst of it, take a chill pill, take a deep breath, and then remind yourself, I exist to be with God, and God has already made that happen. I'm on the train, and the train's on its way. I'm okay. We got, have to telescope out sometimes and remind ourselves why we exist. If you are a Christian, you are on your way to something that cannot be explained or imagined. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, we've answered the question, why do human beings exist? Now we have to ask the question, why does the local church exist? Here's what I'm getting at. Take this logically. If I exist to know God, to be with him, to go to that party, that event, endless eternity of pleasure with God in heaven, then why don't I commit suicide right now and go? Because I'd rather enjoy him there than here, right? But here's why I don't speed up the process of getting there. Because there are others who need to go as well. There are others who need to hear the gospel message of forgiveness through Jesus so they can be on the train too. If every Christian were to commit mass suicide, which is a horrible thought, the work would be over. The gospel might be in written form in books and it might be available in audio or video, but God needs and wants his Christians to remain on earth to build his church so that other people will be on the train. That is why the local church exists. The local church is not a country club. It's not a Christian theater society where we entertain each other and live fake lives and go back home and live completely differently. That's not what the church is for. That's not why this building was built. The church 
is for the spread of the gospel to reach communities, to call them to the God that we already know. Our church is not meant to be private and personal about me. It's meant to be public and powerful to display God's purposes in the world, to redeem and save people and watch their hearts change. That's why we preach. That's why the church is here. This idea of mission in the world on behalf of God, doing God's work, God could have written it in a cloud and saved, boom, 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 saved people, but he didn't do it that way. He chose to use people like you and me in the church. This mission could be distilled into two ideas, evangelism and discipleship. Evangelism is the intentional, verbal proclamation of the gospel message so that people would hear and by hearing be changed according to God's power. Evangelism is the intentional, verbal, it's not just actions, you can't save a person by helping them with their car. Evangelism is the intentional, verbal, by mouth or by word or by hearing, proclamation of the gospel message, God saving man through Jesus, so that people would hear and God would work in them and save some of them. That's evangelism. That is the primary and principal aim of the church. That is why you and I exist. That is the core of the fire we call Christianity. If you are not evangelizing, and if I am not evangelizing, if my heart is not bent toward those who are not Christians, then we are missing our primary purpose for being alive. So after the goal of evangelism is met, after people come, after they say, what must I do to be saved? And they hear the gospel and say, I want to be a Christian, like these brothers up in the balcony did so recently. I praise God for you brothers. And like many others in this room who heard the gospel and turned to Jesus, after that, we can't be babies. Babies got to grow up. Who, who, who wants to see a baby be a baby for 20 years? And yet that's what happens in our churches. Spiritual babies forever. <laughs> Diapers and milk. and No, we got to grow up to meet. And that process of growing up is called discipleship. Discipleship. Discipleship is leaders, building leaders, maturing people, getting them into the word, taking the bread that they're eating and slowly introducing them to bigger and bigger types of food, more complex food to make them grow so they can go out in the world and start the process all over again of saving people, of, of preaching the gospel message and having people come. Discipleship is what happens after evangelism. We take these brothers who got saved who, who professed Christ as their Lord and Savior and say, I want to turn from sin. I'm not going to be perfect. No one is, but I'm going to turn in a different direction in my life. And we come around them. Men come around men and women come around women and we work with them. We show them things. We get into the word with them. We teach them truths. We pray with them. We're transparent with them. And they grow. A year ago they ate bread. Now they're eating meat. Then they're eating flaming yawn. Then they're getting more and more meat. That's discipleship. 
Those are the two principal aims of the local church. The local church is called to do many things, but this, this is a picture of the two principal aims, evangelism and discipleship. Preaching the gospel, people are saved. They become disciples who preach the gospel so that people are saved, and then they become disciples, and so on and on and on. And guess what? The fact that you, in Louisville, Kentucky, are here, and are Christians, presumably, means that something has worked. If the gospel started in the Middle East, in Jerusalem, in Israel, and it spread, well, somewhere along the line, it crossed the Atlantic Ocean, and you heard it. And so, be grateful that you did, because there are places in the world, islands of people that have not heard it. And so, it would be, it would be intellectually dishonest, it would be wrong for us to hear it, but not to allow others. There are roughly 25,000 people in the Newburgh area. This is a hopeless, broken neighborhood filled with apathy. People who don't have a vision for what they could become. And yet, out of that was Ron and Jared and Jordan who came out from Newburgh and said, I want something different. And if it can happen to them and some of you in this room, then who else could it happen to? And not just Newburgh, we're talking Watterson Park, we're talking Butchell, we're talking um, Fern Creek, we're talking Jefferson Town and Okalona, and then beyond. There is so much hopelessness and apathy in this city. Not just our zone, not just 40218, 40219, it's all over this city. There's roughly 2,000 churches in Louisville, and there's so much hopelessness here. And so we at Forest Baptist want to make sure we're fulfilling the call of evangelism and discipleship and seeing lives change. Let's look at where that started, way back in the Middle East. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Acts. Acts chapter 2. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts. Right after the book of John, we're looking at chapter 2. When you got it, say got it. Acts chapter 2, and we're looking at verse 36 through verses 47. So Acts chapter 2, verse 36 to the end of the chapter. I'll be reading for the ESV version. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. End quote. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And the fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. May God richly bless the reading of His Word. You may be seated. In this passage is a picture of evangelism and discipleship and then evangelism all over again. In verses 36 through 41, we see a picture of evangelism. The great apostle Peter, the man with the foot in his mouth half the time, preached the gospel with power. And in the verses in the chapter preceding, we see his sermon, an excerpt of it. And there were arguably thousands and thousands of people there because at least 3,000 trusted Jesus. If 3,000 trusted Jesus, how many people do you think were there? 10,000? 15,000 perhaps? A huge congregation of people to hear the truth. People want to hear truth. They're thirsty for it. They might not want to change their lifestyle, but they want truth. They want someone to boldly tell them what is true. And Peter did that. And at the very end of his sermon is where we start. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, meaning Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter just got done telling the people of Jerusalem, you need to trust in this God-man, Jesus. Turn from your sin and build your life on him. And it says this, they were cut to the heart. Not literally, the Holy Spirit moved in them, went right here to the heart. They realized something is wrong. I need to turn, I need to change and trust in this Jesus. And after they were cut to the heart, they said to Peter and the apostles, the men Jesus commissioned to teach the gospel, they said, what must I do? They were broken down, cut to the heart, and they said, what shall we do? And then Peter said, Repent, this is verse 38, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Let me clarify something here. Peter is not saying that baptism is what makes a person a Christian. Let's be really clear. I don't want to bust out Nuke Nuke and Baby because that's Jamal's. That's Pastor Jamal's. Pastor Jamal busts out Nuke Nuke and Baby. I won't do that. But I will say, if you grew up in church, you got baptized at 10, and then spend the next 40, 50 years living it up with no regard for Christ, that does not make you a Christian. Baptism does not save you. Repentance and faith saves you. And I know that most of us probably have heard this enough in the last year, but you can't be reminded of a truth too much we have to know this for certain. Peter is not saying be baptized and you'll be okay. He's saying repent 
And as a symbol of your repentance, as a symbol of what's already happened to you, when you repent, when you turn, then be baptized so that people can see it. It's more for them to see than to change you. You have already changed if you've repented. Now it's just showing it to them. That's what baptism is about. It's not about changing you. It's about demonstrating the change that has already happened. And if you get baptized and then you live however you want to live, then that change obviously didn't happen and it's just dipping it in water for nothing. In verse 38, after he says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's be very clear here too. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not reserved for Christian leaders. The Holy Spirit is given to every Christian. Every Christian at the instant they are saved is given the Holy Spirit. And I would argue that the Holy Spirit is even working in them probably before they're saved to turn them to God. So if you're a Christian and you feel a prick of consciousness from time to time, hopefully a lot of the time, then that's the Holy Spirit working in you. It's not Pinocchio. It's not Jiminy Cricket, right? The Holy Spirit is in you, and he will never leave. You can push him down. You can quench him. You can put him in the closet for a few years. Hopefully that's not the case, but he will never leave. Don't use that as an excuse to say, well, I'm going to do my 20s this way and do my 30s this way, do my 40s this way, and then when I'm in my 50s, I'll come back. No. No, you do not know that you'll live another minute. Peter tells them, you want to be saved? You want truth? Repent and be baptized and you will receive the Holy Spirit and your life is going to change. For the promise, verse 39, is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Is Peter arguing for uh, that becoming, being a child of a Christian makes you a Christian? No, he's saying the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This is a really important verse because some people will read a verse like this and they will say, well, it says the promise is for me and my children. Therefore, my children are saved. And therefore, you think that because you're a child of someone who is a Christian, that you're okay. But we got to read in context. I want this church to be biblically literate. We've got to read the whole verse you can't pick a little part out. You've got to read the whole thing. The whole verse says, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, but this is the main idea. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. He's saying, you, your children, all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls. Just because you're the child of a Christian does not mean you are a Christian. Turn and run to Jesus if you have found yourself thinking that from time to time. I'm okay. I got baptized. Grandma goes to church. It's you. You. You have to make that decision. Turn. Trust in Christ. Repent. Verse 40 says this, And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and were added that day, there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 
Peter says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. He's not saying save yourselves because we can't save ourselves. When he says save, he's not talking about the way that God saves us. He's saying, run. This place is, it, this is destructive. You can't love the world and love Jesus. You can be in the world, minister to the world, serve the world, become acculturated to a degree, but you can't be your whole life. There has to be some saltiness about you, some distinctiveness about you. He's saying, save yourselves from this. Turn to Jesus. And it says they did. And it says some of them repented, gave their hearts to Jesus. They were baptized to show everyone else. And then 3,000 were added to that church. Can you imagine being a small church and then all of a sudden, boom, 3,000 come in? How do you think we would handle that? Won't work in here. You put 3,000 people in here, it's going to be ridiculous. This room can only seat 500 people maximum. But what if it did happen? Who are we to say that God could not make that happen? Who are we to say that God could not reach out with his Holy Spirit and prick the hearts of people in Newburgh and take them from their hopelessness to hear the gospel? Why couldn't that happen? This is evangelism, what we've just read. And once they get saved, they don't just get left there. You don't have babies born in a hospital and leave them there. You give them to spiritual parents, and the spiritual parents take them home and develop them. When babies are born, spiritual babies, they're taken by people older than they are and more mature than they are, and those people reach into their lives and pull them along and help them grow. Evangelism leads to discipleship. This is the next step. This is the next purpose for the church. Look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves. Who's they? The people that just got saved. What did they do when they got saved? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They listened to God's word taught. They were hungry to hear God's word explained to them. And they came for the people for the community, and they came for the food. Oh, yeah. And then they prayed together. Days after they were saved, I'm sure they went home, told their families, and they said, I'm going, I'm going. We're going to meet in people's houses. We're going to meet in the building. We're going to go, and guess what I'm going to get when I go there? I'm going to get teaching. I'm going to get the word of God explained to me by qualified men who can teach the word and who aren't going to use the word as a springboard for their own agenda. They're going to show me what God says. They're hungry for that. And then they say, I'm not just going to go there for myself, though, to go there and leave one second after church ends. I'm going to go and I'm going to have fellowship. I'm going to get into people's lives. They're going to get into my life. I'm going to learn from other people. I'm going to do life with people and not just church with people. And then... I'm going to eat with people. What's one of the best ways to have fellowship with other people? Over a meal. We get three of them a day. We might as well have them with someone else. I love eating food with people. I need to get better at it. But, you know, sometimes I get sloppy. I see that burger that I love, you know. And then they prayed together. They prayed. They said, can you pray for me? Can you intercede for me? That's what happens. That's what it looks like to begin the discipleship process for a person who has just heard the gospel. They should come into a church, and that church should immediately surround them with godly, mature men and women who teach them the word, who pray with them, who eat with them. 
That's what it looks like. Let's keep going. Verse 43, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Let's stop there. In verse 43, it says, Awe came upon these people, and wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Let me, let me correct something really quickly. This does not mean that you should come to church expecting for Pastor Jamal to do a miracle next week. It does not mean that you are waiting to see healings all the time, although I think that is possible. That's not what you're looking for primarily. The apostles were specific men, a very few specific men, called by God and commissioned by Jesus personally, as in personal right-hand men, to build his church at the beginning. And guess what the apostles did? They wrote the Bible. They put the Bible together for us. So we don't have to come to church seeking signs and wonders. We can read the words written by the men who did them. That's what we do when we exposit, when we explain the word of God. We're not depending on some other power. Yeah, if you want to build the church, you can put pyrotechnics and get Cirque du Soleil in here. But we have the power of the word of God. This is rich, and it builds people, and it builds nations of people, and it builds Christians from babies into adults. This is what we need. Forest Baptist will be grounded here. We don't have to use flesh and entertainment. We can do without it if we have to, but we can't do without this. Come to church expecting this to be explained to you, and you will grow. You will grow into something incredible through the Holy Spirit if this is what you build your life on. So just because the apostles did signs and miracles doesn't mean we have to. The apostles wrote this stuff, the power for us. This is where we get our life. And look at verse 44. They were together and they had all things in common. Verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. What we're talking about is this. The church should be a place where your heart has a tendency to look to the needs of the Christian brothers and sisters around you. You should not come to church as a consumer. Am I going to get entertained today? I'm ready to, to have the preacher preach me glad and I'm going to go home. I'm ready to come to church because I want to see what needs can I fulfill. And if I have a need, maybe some Christian brother or sister will help me. That's the attitude here. We're not talking about Christian communism, that when you come to the church, you automatically take all your possessions, you put it in a big pool in the front, and then the pastors get together and sort it out. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a heart that wants to serve your brothers and sisters, that's not stingy, that you see your brother and sister in need, you see a car is broken down, you say, hey, let me give you a ride. You see that they don't have a place to stay, or maybe they're in an abusive situation. You say, hey, we'll open up a room to you for a little while to help you out. That's what we are talking about. It's a heart that wants to serve your brothers and sisters and help those who are in need. Verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Catch that. Temple and homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They ate together a lot, and they prayed together, and they taught together. They listened to teaching together. And they 
in verse 47, we're praising God and having favor with all the people. When it says all the people, that refers to both in their Christian community and outside their Christian community. They were a fixture in Jerusalem. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So as they were being discipled, as they were being taught and trained and built up and having fellowship with each other, they didn't turn inward. They turned outward so that they could repeat the process that saved them. As they were growing, they said, okay, let me reach out to my community and my neighbors next door. Let me get them so that they can come in. And then that process repeated year after year after year, and look where we are today. We have millions, perhaps a few billion Christians across the world, hopefully, because this process started and spread out. And it's on us to continue that. It's on us to make Forest Baptist Church a church like this, where people get saved, they come in, they hear teaching, we eat together, we pray together, we fellowship together, we're sensitive to each other's needs, right? How are we going to argue for community outreach and helping the poor if we're not even helping the poor in our own church? That's what we're talking about, sensitivity to each other. And then after they heard this enough, after they were old enough to start talking, so to speak, they went out and started it for the next group of people. I bet that there are 2,000 people represented in this room for all the friends and family connections we have in here. How many of y'all are related to people within three miles of the church that aren't in this building right now? Raise your hand. If you're related to people within three miles of this church who aren't in this building, think about all the people that represents all of Newburgh. And listen, when I talk about this, I'm not an expert on Newburgh. I've been here four years, okay? I'm not saying I'm an expert, but I'm saying I love you all and we know each other and I know you all know Newburgh way better than I could ever know Newburgh. And what if we impacted them on a bigger level? through personal relationships, getting them in. Discipleship. And so if you feel like you're at church right now and you feel like, well, I haven't experienced this, well, that's unfortunate, and that's going to change. If you feel like, I've been in church, but I never really heard the gospel like this before, then that's going to change too. And if you feel like, I don't want people to come into this church because I'm embarrassed, well, that's going to change if that's how you feel. Evangelism and discipleship is what we are about at Forest Baptist Church. And now here comes the question, huge question. How are we going to do this better than we have been doing it? How are we going to fulfill these tasks and responsibilities in a way that hasn't happened yet? All right, take a breath. We're about to give you something. We're going to fulfill these tasks prayerfully, by the power of God, not by our power, through a ministry initiative called Small Groups. We want to do what we have been doing informally at a formal level. We want to accomplish the task of evangelism and discipleship regularly, consistently, through small groups. Now, what am I talking about? You might say, well, we have small groups. We meet in each other's houses every once in a while. We have parties. That's exactly the point. We're doing it already. Sister Chacha has a group of women that meet on a monthly basis in her home, and it is a dynamic ministry, a rich and awesome ministry. And there are other brothers and sisters in this church who are meeting in small groups already. This is happening. 
People say, I want to take what I'm learning at church from, from Pastor Jamal and from Pastor Maceo and Pastor Nate, and I want to help each other apply it. I want us to work on this together. That's going on. And so we have to ask some questions when we talk about small groups. What are small groups? What are small groups? Small groups are organized, consistent meetings with people within the congregation. People getting together on a regular basis to do exactly what we talked about in our lesson or in, in the sermon right now. To eat together, to pray together, to teach, to listen, to share life together, to counsel each other, to encourage each other, and then you do it the next week and the next week. It's regular. It's part of our lifestyle. We want this to be part of our DNA. Where when someone says, I'm struggling and I feel like I go to church every week and no one really knows what's happening behind here because my face is a stained glass masquerade. We can say, how are things going in the small group? Are you talking with your small group leader about it? And they'll say, well, you know, I didn't know that existed. Well, now it does. Now there's a place where you can go. There's a place where you can get deeper than maybe you can get on Sunday morning. That's what small groups are. Consistent, regular times of meeting with Christian brothers and sisters in each other's homes. And if you can't do it in the home, then you do it in a, another public place. And then you invite non-believers and you invite friends and family in as well. That's what small groups are. Okay? So we're going to go all the questions. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. We do all of them. So there's no confusion. Why? Why small groups? Why would we introduce a ministry idea like this? Aren't we okay? There are five reasons why we want small groups to happen. Reason number one. Community outreach and spreading the church. Now, Forest Baptist Church is well known in Newburgh. But what if Forest Baptist Church were not just a building at 4500 Petersburg Avenue, Petersburg Road, 40218? What if Forest Baptist Church was centered in this building, but then the people of Forest Baptist Church met regularly all over Newburgh, all over southeastern Louisville? That would take our church from being here to being spread out among the city. And then when people say, when people drive by the street and they say, oh, that's that church, that, uh, this and that, whatever they might feel, they can't say that when they go to your house or some leader's house and there are a group of Forest Baptist people in there serving them and helping them and giving them food and giving them attention and praying with them. They say, wow, that's the church too. Yes, they're both the church. What did, what did we read right here in Acts? It said they met at the temple and in the houses. It was both. Church is not just Sunday morning from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Church is all day, every day, everybody who is a Christian. We are doing church here. We want to do church in homes. We want to minister to each other, counsel each other, serve each other, help each other with their needs in homes regularly where you can expect that. And guess what? It's not just for us either. This is to outreach to Newburgh. This is to get our arms and our feet and our hands out to the people of this community, broken, hurting, hopeless people. 
so that instead of maybe coming to church on Sunday with me, after you're hungover on Saturday night, maybe you can come to my house Thursday night, for example. And maybe that might make you more comfortable. And maybe you'll see what it's like for Christians to love each other without the suit sometimes, without the hat, but just who we are. Maybe you can see what it's really like to be a Christian. Maybe you have misconceptions and you drive by the church and you don't like it, but what if you saw how I really am? I want to let you in. I want you to see my life. And I want to serve you. You want to impact Newburgh? This might be our best chance to reach out, meet people, serve people, have them in our homes, and then eventually get them here to hear the word of God preached by Pastor Jamal and Pastor Maceo and Pastor Nate. So that's one reason why. The second reason why is this, accelerated spiritual maturity. We want small groups to help people grow, and not just to help them grow, but to help them grow faster. If, you, if your spiritual diet is listening to a sermon once a week, and you never talk to people, you're not in each other's lives, your life is this, this private thing where you don't let people in, you're never going to grow. You're going to be stunted and stagnant. But if you can expect to hear, hear Pastor Jamal preach every week and then to be in someone's home with other believers, serving with them and learning from them, imagine how fast you'll grow. Your spiritual maturity will go from here to here really quickly. And you won't feel like I'm not getting anything. You might say to yourself, I can't go up to Pastor Jamal because he's busy. Well, now you don't have to. You can go up to the leaders in the small groups and have them work with you. This will help you grow faster. You know how they say that teenagers learn most from their peers than from anyone else? Well, guess what? That works with Christians, too. You can learn on Sunday morning, but you'll learn a whole lot as well on Thursday or Tuesday night or Wednesday night or whatever works with your schedule because you're with Christians regularly. The third reason that we want this to happen, that we're praying that God will make it come about, is we want to communicate and, and uh, build a culture of transparency. How many times do you, have, do you feel like, I can't be who I really am at church, I have to put on a mask? Well, now, guess what? It doesn't have to be that way. You can be with other Christians, knowing who they are, and they can know who you are, and you don't have to feel like, I have to be fake to be in church. Now, some people will see small groups, and they'll say, well, I'm out of here then. If that's the case, then I'm questioning what's going on in your heart. If they say, I don't want people to be in my life, I don't want people to know who I really am, I don't want people to know my issues and my struggles, if that's the case, then why are you coming to church at all? Shouldn't the church be a place where we know each other and help each other and serve each other? Small groups will help create transparency and genuineness among each other. Fourth reason we want small groups to happen is to balance the weight of ministry. If 225 people are leaning on one or two or three men to address their spiritual needs, it's never going to happen. If, if, if Pastor Jamal is getting contacted by people every week, you know, way, 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 way too much, and it crushes him, how is he going to be able to cast vision and preach? But if we have a system of small groups, people, leaders spread out across the church and across the city, 
and you can go to them, then you might not have to always go to just Pastor Jamal. Spiritual leadership in this church is not relegated to a few men. It's relegated to many leaders. And you can go to them to address your needs and concerns. And then you can go to another leader and another leader, etc. It doesn't have to be one man or nothing. Think of it this way. If you put pressure on one little point, it crushes the point, right? But what if you put pressure on a whole web of points? It absorbs the burden. We want small groups to absorb the weight of people's needs and spiritual questions and hurts and issues. That's another reason that it would work, to absorb that weight. And finally, we want to build a culture of leadership. Pastors will be burned out if they and only they are over the spiritual development of an entire church. And by God's grace, we want Forest Baptist to grow. How can they do that? But if we're developing a culture of leadership where people are meeting in each other's homes and leaders are being developed and they say, well, your group has too many people, we're going we're gonna to make a new group out of this and I'll be the leader of that. We have leaders building and leaders helping other leaders build. Then we have a whole set of leaders. We have the four pastors and then we have leaders and then leaders under that and leaders under that and that helps people mature and grow more people to talk to more people to help you grow in your faith we want to develop a culture of leadership through this as well so that's the why now let's talk about the how how would this work how would this work well what we are not saying first of all is everybody in here open up your house to everybody that's what we're not saying we're not saying that what we are saying is, at first, we would have the four pastors, Pastor Jamal, Pastor Maceo, Pastor Nate, and then myself, open up our homes to you. And we would say, anyone who wants to be part of deep community, togetherness, to go deeper in their faith, come. We'll have our homes open. We want you to come. We'll have food. We'll have fellowship. We'll talk, and we will pray. We will dig into life's issues. And what would happen is, prayerfully, people would want to come. People would want to be part of that. And um, we would hope to have a group of at least 10. And once it got, got past like 15, 16, 17 or so, we would say, okay, let's try to have that spill over to make a new group with a new leader. And then those groups would grow as we reached out to the community, as we did uh, evangelism. And then we'd have to reproduce that. You see what I'm saying? And new leaders would be born and new homes would be opened up, or places would be opened up for people to fellowship, right? And what we also want to do is have not only um, the pastors open up their homes, we want to have a home in Newburgh, if not the church building itself, open up on a certain night so that people who live very close to the church can come as well, to not just get that Sunday morning, but to get that nourishment throughout the week, right? And so that's what we want to do as well. That's how we're going to do it. It's going to be consistent weekly. If we can't do weekly, then we'll do it as often as we can. We'll dig into the sermon that was preached the previous Sunday. We'll talk about other life issues that come up. The men will break off and be with the men for a little bit, the women with the women for a little bit. Uh, we're still figuring out what's gonna, how it's going to work with children. We're still, we're still working this out. But we would talk amongst ourselves and help each other grow and do this maybe a couple hours each session. And then, then we go home. And then every week you could look at your calendar and say, I know where I'm going tonight. Life has been tough. 
I'm not going to call people and gossip. Life has been tough. I'm going to go to small group tonight, and we're going to get it worked out. That's how it would work. Now, who? Who is this for? We've already addressed this some. But at first, the people leading this would be the four pastors and then another leader whom we would raise up in the Newburgh area, hopefully even in the church building itself, and if not, then a house very near here. And these leaders would lead, and this would be for the church. We want everyone in this church to be part of this because we want you to grow. We want you to have your needs met. And then this is also for the community. This is for Newburgh. This is for Fern Creek and J-Town and Okalona and, and Butchell. This is for this area. We want them to be there too. We want them to see what being a Christian really means. How many people in our area don't want to come to church because they feel like they can't measure up to looking a certain way or talking a certain way? And that's wrong. That's not what being a Christian is. We want to show them what it really is, and we want to address their needs. We want them to have their lives changed. Don't you want that? That's who would lead it and who it's for. Now, where? Now, we have a map to talk about where this would happen at the outset. Here is a map of uh, Louisville, Jefferson County. The center uh, marker is the location that you're at right now, Forest Baptist Church. The southern marker right there above Hillview, which you can tell is off Preston, that's where Pastor Jamal lives. The western marker, uh, which is near uh, Southern Parkway, if you know your geography well, is where Pastor Nate lives. Um, the eastern marker, which is right off Bargetown Road, uh, 150, is where Pastor Maceo lives. And then the northern marker, which is above Interstate 64, is where Mandy and I live. At first, when we open this up to start going, we want people to be in these locations. Preferably all five. We're going to see about opening up the church on a certain night and have people here throughout the week. So that if you live maybe kind of toward the west of where the church is, you'll be with Nate. If you live kind of toward the south of where the church is, you'll be with, uh, with Pastor Jamal. If you live kind of in the Fern Creek, Bargetown Road area, you're with Maceo. He's got a great basement. Pastor Maceo. And then if you are more in the J-Town area, or maybe a little bit up north, kind of toward St. Matthew's, toward Interstate 64, then you're with us. And um, we want to do this by geography, and divide this up so that you can impact the people closest to you. How many of you have neighbors in your apartment complexes or homes that you see them and you know they're broken, they're heading downhill, and you want to see something change for them? Raise your hand if you can think of neighbors around you. Well, this would give you a chance. You could say, hey, I'm going to a fellowship at a house that's like two miles away from me out in Oklahoma or out in, uh, in, in Fern Creek, and I want you to come with me. Let's come. Let's, let's chill out, free meal. Let's, 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 let's have some time together. You know what I'm saying? How many of them do you think would go to that before coming here? So this is where it would happen. And the goal, the strategy is, after a meeting at these initial locations, as people come more and more, we would send the overflow, when we get too many people, to uh, preferably the Newburgh area, right? The Newburgh zone. And then that would grow, and soon enough, we would have three or four dots around the Newburgh zone, because we want to impact Newburgh. We're on the outskirts of Newburgh right now, or in th that map, I mean, we're, we're surrounding it, but we want to get here, impact here, and have this spread out and multiply, so that hopefully these five zones become more like 10 or 20, 
as we're reaching out to the Newburgh community and as we're spreading out from the southeastern quadrant of Louisville. This is where we want this to happen. Now, when? When is this going to happen? We are saying this. On September 8th of this year, September 8th, 2014, is when we will have our initial groups. That means that week, the second week of September, the four pastors' homes will be opened up to allow people in, people from a certain region, and to start doing ministry. So, mark this down on your calendar. If you are a member of Forest Baptist Church, we want you here. We want you to come. We want you to come experience regular, consistent fellowship and food and teaching and fun times together and prayer so you can build relationships so that our church can grow richly and deeply. If you are a Forest Baptist member, we want you there. Our home will be open. We are ready. September 8, 2014 and following. Now, this is going to continue and continue because we have talked about an April date in the past. April of 2015 as being another start. What this will be is our initial launch. We want you coming. But by the time April comes, April of 2015, a little less than a year from now, we want everybody there. And we're going to go hard and we're going to say, we have more than five groups now. We have, hopefully by then, we'll have maybe ten. And we'll say, if you live near any one of these groups, sign up. Let's go. Let's be part of this. Let's grow. You want your faith to go to the next level? You want to impact your community? Now's your opportunity. So I'm going to close with this. The goal here is not programs. The goal here is not changing things. The goal here is not pushing stuff out of the way. The goal here is to give us a chance to do what we just read, to have community, to reach out to our neighbors, to impact Newburgh, to experience Christian fellowship and intimacy and transparency to do what, quite frankly, we haven't done a good job at doing. This is the way we can do it. This is what they did in the early church. Why can't we do it now? So I want you to pray and think deeply about, am I ready to be part of this? Do I want to be part of this? Do I want to take my faith to the next level? Or do I just want to do the same thing I've always done? You know how they say you do what you always do, you'll get what you always got? It's up to you. And this is going to be a joyful thing. I'm ready for it. I'm so pumped. You don't even know. And Pastor Jamal is going to be talking about this a ton coming up. Now, not this Wednesday, but a week from this Wednesday, we will be having a vision casting meeting here. Come out, please come out. Two weeks from, or a week from this Wednesday, come out. We're going to talk about the future of our church, talk about the state of our church, talk about what we want to do. We're going to talk about this in more detail as well. So please, please make plans to be here. Not this Wednesday, but a week from this Wednesday. Now, if there's someone in here that heard this message today, heard the call to repent and trust in Jesus for salvation, if that's what's happening in your heart and you feel like, 
I want to do something about this. I, I, I want to know Jesus as my Savior, and I want to be saved. I don't want to do what I've always done. I want to have a different life, a different lifestyle. I want to be saved. If there's anyone who feels that way, we're going to open up the doors of the church in a minute. Leaders will be up here to, to speak with you, to offer counsel if you need, to encourage you, to uplift you. So if anyone is feeling that right now, don't hesitate. The Holy Spirit is working in you, pulling at you. Please come. We want to talk with you. Let's pray, and then the doors of the church will be open. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word and the truths in your word, the community that we see in the early church, the way that people were together meeting and serving each other. And, and listening to the word of God being taught and praying and eating together. I pray that this uh, would inspire a whole new movement of radical and rich community in this church so that we can go from where we are to where we could be. I pray that you would open up hearts to the idea of serving in each other's homes and, and helping and teaching and listening and praying and counseling and, and being together and doing church the way that Jesus did it the way that the early church did it. And if there is anyone in here who is unsure about where they stand with Christ, if, if they're, they're not sure if this whole Christian thing has just been um, a routine for them or if it's the real thing, I pray that if there's any uncertainty that you would move them to come and speak. Come and speak with one of, uh, one of our leaders so that they can sh be shown the word of God and be shown the truth. Thank you, Lord, for this church and what you're doing in our midst. I pray that you would grow us and build us up and give us a vision for impacting Newburgh and beyond with your gospel to see lives change and people have hope where there has not been hope. Thank you, dear Jesus, for what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.